And I'm Andy Bird. And today on the show, we have a special episode for you folks. We've got um, two conversations, actually, a two-for-one episode uh, with Black leaders in the industry. Uh, we're going to be featuring two interviews uh, this episode. First up, we're going to be speaking with Jackie McWilliams. She's the commissioner of the Central Intercollegiate Athletic Association. And later on in the episode, uh, we'll be featuring a conversation with Cedric Bryant. He is the president and chief science officer with the American Council on Exercise. And uh, Andy, I, I know that you spoke to Jackie for today's episode. What did you guys talk about? Yeah, great uh, great talk with her um, about uh, a number of issues around their, uh, the Central Intercollegiate Athletic Association's upcoming tournament, um, which is kind of a showcase for historically black uh, colleges and universities. Um, and obviously altered this year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so we talked around about issues related to that and how important the, the tournament actually is to, to the HBCU community. Um, and then, you know, just kind of how they're bringing that community together, even in this challenging time. Um, so really great talk with Jackie McWilliams. Um, you know, she's an interesting point. Uh, and one that she almost kind of downplayed in our conversations that she's the first African-American woman to be the head of any NCAA conference. So hmm. um, division one, two, or three, um, she took her position in 2012. So great perspective from, from Jackie. We had a really nice conversation and I hope the audience enjoys it. Yes, and uh, just uh, before we jump into to that uh, part of the episode, I wanted to go ahead and, and mention uh, just a little bit about my conversation uh, with Cedric Bryant. Uh, Cedric and I actually uh, decided to speak a little bit about uh, the fitness industry and what it can do better, uh, basically to better serve minority communities. Um, Cedric's been uh, participating on a number of different panels uh, with, with that goal in mind. So you'll hear in our conversation more about his thoughts on that. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a, an, another really interesting conversation. And uh, we've got a two for one uh, this episode. So without uh, further ado, let's get right into it. Athletic Business Magazine is a trade publication that 40,000 athletics, fitness, and recreation professionals rely on to find the tips, trends, and products they need to be successful. Want to join? Head on over to athleticbusiness.com slash subscribe to get started or renew your free subscription. Jackie, welcome. Thank you for taking the time. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Andy. I am, I'm thankful. Thankful for you asking. Wonderful. Um, so I realize you are in the middle of what might be one of the busiest months of your, your year. Um, do you want to just start by telling me a little bit about what, what's a typical day look like right now as you prepare for the annual CIAA tournament? You know, it's, um, it, it's, it's been really busy and I, I'm trying to understand how it's been so busy, even in COVID. And I think, sure. you know, with our team and just the vision and creativity, you know, to keep people engaged, informed, um, and a part of this great conference, you know, every day, you know, we are having communication with external partners, internal partners, um, our board weekly. 
um, to just keep everybody up on all these fresh and new ideas. So it's really an exciting time, but it has been quite busy. I mean, between CIAA and Women Leaders Board and NCAA um, commissioner meetings, I mean, it's just a nonstop, um, it's nonstop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about how you're dealing with concerns around COVID-19? Are you welcoming crowds to the games? Is it entirely virtual? Who's coming in, you know, for at least to the city, um, if not the games? Yeah, so, you know, we we started this conversation last summer, you know, trying to prepare ourselves whether we were, we whether we would have a tournament in person or not in person. And if we had a tournament in person that we would likely not have fans. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously the board, after looking at, you know, where we are with COVID across the country and then in the locations of our institutions and the continued concerns of the impact that it has in our black communities, uh, it was determined that we would not have an in-person tournament. So we would focus on creating this virtual platform in experience to engage our student athletes, our sponsors, our fans, alumni in our host city, Baltimore, that there would still be some exposure and opportunity to collaborate. We didn't want to have a dead year. Right. And so I think um, the opportunity to, to collaborate with Bowie State and with Baltimore has allowed us to create this platform. So no, we won't be in person in Baltimore, but we will be in person virtually on this platform um, that will start early Monday, just like we do in tournament week and will end on that Saturday as we would with our championship game. And we'll, we'll show old games. Um, there'll be, you know, our fan fest still, there, there'll be a lot of engagement. We're excited about what we're creating here. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's very different than anybody else, what anybody else is doing for an athletic conference, but it's truly an opportunity to still be connected to the to the community that has created, you know, this great CIAA for now our 76th tournament. Sure. Uh, so I guess give me a, a little bit of the details around how you're actually proceeding here. Uh, what what is the the actual event? Yeah. So just like if you were in person, we would have pretty much all these events. So what we've done is we've just transformed them to be. Um, on a platform in virtual and, you know, we've modified them a little bit, you know, based on timing and the days to do it, but we'll still have CIAA high school education day. Um, we've engaged the Baltimore city school system. And we've also opened up the door for schools from across the country to be involved. I think the whole point of high school day is to really engage our students and see what opportunities they have in attending one of our member institutions. Uh, we'll still work with NASA. They do a STEM engagement program. That See, that starts on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, we'll have um, financial literacy platform. We'll have a mental health platform. Baltimore City will have a Charm City welcome event. Also during the week, we'll have Career Expo, where our partners will still be looking for um, great talent from our CIAA schools or communities to work um, at their organizations, the speaker series. Fan Fest will be fun. I mean, all everything that we do from educational to um, academic, um, well, educational, academic to, to business, um, engaging our minority women-owned businesses to showcasing the games, our Hall of Fame on Friday, the Women's Empowerment Series. I mean, and it really goes like, it's almost like we're in person, but we're doing this virtually. And everyone has a piece of the puzzle to make this happen between our sponsors, the city of Baltimore, Bowie State, and our 12 member institutions 
that will also have the opportunity to have engagement within the platform with their own institutions and alumni and fans. Very cool. Very cool. I, I know that the, the tournament um, has a rich history for HBCUs. Can you talk a little bit about what that means to the community? It means everything. You know, every, every time I think about our conference, I mean, even, you know, in Black History Month and, and yeah. luckily in our HBCUs, we celebrate our history 365 days a year. Um, but there's really been a focus this month to celebrate our partnerships with our institutions and tell their stories, the legacy of our families. You know, we have coaches. I think our first post was with the joiners at uh, Johnson C. Smith University. You have a, a generation of family that are coaching or administrators in this conference. Being 1946 and, and uh, John B. McClendon, his hall of, the Hall of Fame is named after him, but even more so, I mean, he just won an award from the NCAA for the legacy uh, for what he has done in this in the world um, and working at a historically black college and university and carrying the story in other places. So I think there's always a unique opportunity for us all year round. But this month, as we close out our tournament in February, to really talk about the impact that HBCUs and particularly the CIAA has had in this country and the amazing leaders that have come out of it and the community impact that we make at our member institutions and then also with the conference. Right, very cool. Um, once you get through the tournament, uh, what are some of the sort of issues, trends that are on your radar in the coming year? Yeah, you know, we we still, we don't stop, you know, even yeah. though we uh, made a decision about our spring championships, um, we will allow the school our schools to have autonomy to still compete. The conference will not have a championship and, and manage the schedules. But we will give them a chance. You know, there's still a concern with the mental health of our student athletes. Um, currently in our inclusion program, our diversity inclusion committee, which has a president, some coaches, administrators, and student athletes, um, we've been working on this program called Mind, Body, and Soul as our theme this year. And so there'll be some rollouts and an opportunity for all of our administrators and external partners to engage in some deep dialogue. We have our Mac Attack show that we started Last summer, the athletic director and myself will start series three probably in March. Um, we bring unique guests. It could even be you, Andy. We'll bring unique <laughs> guests to just come and talk about our history, what's going on. Um, very informal, um, but really allows us to continue to engage our audience in a special way. We have spring meetings, so it doesn't stop outside of planning for the upcoming year. You know, our hope is that we'll be able to get out of the weeds of COVID and have a fall season. Um, I definitely, we're not looking forward to having another, a year of stoppage, but really looking at how we're gonna make next year a fun um, for our fans and our student athletes to come back and enjoy what we what we do every single day in okay. our conference. Yeah, can you, can you just talk a little bit more um, just about how, how your member schools are thinking about um, other sports, the, the coming seasons, um, are, is there optimism there? Absolutely. I mean, I think even, you know, there was optimism when we, uh, you know, shut down last yeah. March. Um, I think, you know, I think for us, it's just taking one day at a time, pacing ourselves and how do we evolve ourselves? I think everybody across the country is trying to do that. But when we think about CIAA, we've done some really fun and unique things uh, this year and even our schools. 
Um, and as we come up to the summer and our planning in the spring for next fall, I think we'll figure out what we should do and what we should not do, you know, yeah. as we continue to move forward. You know, where where have we been wasteful or where could we really make more impact? I mean, ultimately, we want our student athletes to benefit from all the things that we do in our 12 member institutions. And so all of our schools are thinking about how we can do things better. I think there's a greater appreciation of sports and why we get to do what we do. I think fans, even in the fall at homecomings, I think we need to be ready because people are gonna wanna come out and play again. And there's nothing like playing at the HBCU, you know, in the at football season at games or in our homecomings that makes the experience so unique for HBCUs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It seems like uh, there's a lot of changes that are going to come out of this. Um, yeah. And, and that mental health piece that you mentioned is is really big, both for student athletes and for fans who take oh, so yeah. much out of the sports. Um, you know, any, anything you see as maybe uh, we'll go out with this question just uh, as a positive, what do you see as, as maybe you know, some, some learning lesson, some positive that we can take from the last year of really struggle for, for the whole country, the whole world, really? Yeah, that's an awesome question to ask. I think about that probably every day, you yeah. know, like, what is it as you're trying to, you know, talk to our, we talk to our student athletes monthly, you know, we're connected to them and, and just trying to keep them motivated, you know, even with, even when they can't play. And I think what we've learned um, and what I've learned, even for myself, is that even through challenges, you know, that our conference, we've been through a lot of different challenges, um, a lot, known and unknown that people know of, um, but we're a resilient conference and we're a family and community. And if I haven't learned anything more um, this year about CIAA is that when when things go left, uh, we know how to come together or right. We come together very well in the middle to make the right decisions for our community and our, for our families and our student athletes. And at the end of the day, you know, we, we have also figured out that we don't have to do the thing, same things the same yes. and that we can reinvent ourselves to make it better. Um, and we've done a lot of good stuff. Um, that feels good, you know, in our, our social media platforms and our education and leadership development. And so we tell our student athletes, you may not be able to play, but how can you evolve yourself to, and see yourself way beyond the field? Because we all have talents that we haven't tapped in. And COVID has really made us look at what we're capable of doing, um, even in this time. And so I just hope that we've learned to appreciate our gifts and our talents and how we can serve and address the issues that really matter to our communities and how sports continues to bring us together as a culture, as a people, as a family across the world. And we shouldn't take that for granted. Definitely not. Jackie, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're busy and uh, good luck with, with the uh, upcoming tournament getting through February. Um, I just want to mention to our listeners that Jackie has uh, written a piece for our April issue that will be um, uh, personal best column uh, about your story of becoming uh, the first black uh, woman commissioner of any uh, uh, NCAA conference. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. Very, <laughs> very cool. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's my honor and pleasure. Appreciate the opportunity. 
Next up, we've got my interview with Cedric Bryant, President and Chief Science Officer with the American Council on Exercise. Cedric Bryant, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Jason. Uh, we're so uh, grateful to you for taking some time to speak with us. Um, I know that um, you know you've been doing a lot of things with um, focused on uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion this month for uh, within the fitness industry. Uh, and I actually uh, was first uh, this was first brought to my attention with a conversation that you had with Workplace Culture Workout and Club Coach Services, which was uh, titled. Uh, what, when it comes to diversity and inclusion, what is the fitness industry getting right and wrong? So in your estimation, um, what is the answer to that question? Uh, that, that, is, that is quite the loaded question. Right. <laughs> I, I would say that um, what the industry is getting right is that I think uh, most individuals in, in the industry, um, you know, from the leaders on down to the, the people on the floor, I think they do have a general desire of wanting to help people in general, and that includes all people. And I do think that um, they do have a desire to make their facilities, their services, and their programming attractive to all segments. Um, however, I think what has to happen is that you have to be more intentional than just having that that good positive desire. I think you have to you know take some proactive steps to make your facilities, your programming more inviting to individuals who have typically not been reflected in your general kind of profile of your of your membership base and so forth. Uh, you know, it's it's very similar to um, individuals who may not be able-bodied. If you don't take intentional steps to make the facility more accommodating for those individuals, your likelihood of attracting them to your facilities are going to not be very high. So an example is that there's really not great representation of, of individuals of color in many, many facilities. Because even if you look at your fitness professionals um, and you go to your fitness conferences, and I'm sure you've been to a lot of the conferences, you don't see a lot of um, black and brown people who are, you know, frequenting those those conferences. You you typically don't see a lot, um, you know, in terms of speakers and 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 in, and in leadership roles. And I think we have to be intentional about trying to kind of change that kind of state of affairs, if you will. I, I think you're absolutely right about that. And you know, part of um, you know Ace's efforts to kind of um, move that forward, I think, is is part of what you're doing with these Black History Month dialogues. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, where that idea came from and what, uh, what you're uh, kind of discussing this month? Sure. Actually, um, we've been on a, on a, uh, a bit of a um, kind of an intentional crusade, if you will, since um, the, the events of the summer that I think got a lot of groups um, attention and, you know, our organization as well had to do some introspection and say, okay, how are we doing? With, you know, in, in, in all of these dimensions and areas. And so, you know, like many groups, we made um, donations to various social justice groups and so forth, but we didn't want it just to be write a check and kind of soothe our conscience. We wanted to actually do something that could truly be impactful. So we um, set out to kind of come up with these um, equity, diversity, and inclusion aspirations for us as an organization. And we had an internal focus, an external focus, and then also a marketing and communications focus. Our internal focus was to really 
start challenging ourselves and, and really kind of doing a self audit in terms of how are we doing from the very top, from our board of directors to our executive team and to our general staff in terms of truly being um, an organization that is embracing diversity and inclusion and that we're asking the right questions when it comes to our hiring practices, our recruit, recruitment practices, making mm-hmm. sure that there are diverse people in our pi- in our pipeline, that we're really being intentional and in making sure that there are diverse candidates when we have open positions that, you know, that are truly have a, have a shot at the job, that it's not just kind of the, the pro, the NFL's Rooney rule where it's just, okay, we checked the box, but that right. there's really, you know, it's, it's a real legitimate effort. And we also want to make sure that, okay, once we bring people onto the team, do they feel a sense of belonging? Do they feel welcomed, included? And that that's really that whole inclusiveness is that you really have to make sure that you try to identify and address any blind spots that you might have that could make the environment one where, okay, you brought the person on board, but they still feel isolated. They don't feel like they're, they're a part of the team. Right. And you're kind of doing those frequent internal temperature checks to make sure you have it right. And so we want it to, to start with ourselves. And, and we've also engaged uh, an expert in um, uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion from Indiana University to make sure that we're getting it right. Because sometimes good intentions can lead to bad results if you really don't have the knowledge and, and, and experience to really address this issue as it should be addressed. And so um, uh, he's going to uh, take us through some internal trainings with regard to things like cultural competence, unconscious bias, you know, all, you know, all those things that are, that are important if you really want to make a difference and really move the needle as far as this topic goes. And then the other thing that we're looking at is how can we kind of change the composition of our profile of 90,000 plus professionals, which is much like those, those uh, industry events that I talked about. And so we're, we're looking at um, trying to go to places where you might be able to attract some uh, young minds of, of, people who are different than what the typical profile is. And so an example is that we're looking to um, do some work with the uh, HBCUs to make opportunities available to their students to become part of the, of the fitness industry, which can be a very rewarding and fulfilling uh, profession and job for them that I think many times individuals just don't even think about when you're a college student in terms of what what are my various opportunities if I'm a, an exercise science major, a kinesiology major, or even, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm a psych major, you know, health coaching and so forth. So we're looking at trying to be creative and intentional about identifying opportunities to attract more young folks to the profession. And then from a uh, um, communications and, and marketing standpoint, one of the things that, that we've done, and it, you know, it sounds like a, like a small thing, but we're really trying to, you know, be intentional about um, our, our use of, of, of imagery, of words to make sure that it truly, truly is reflecting who we say we want to be. Right. Yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, you, you outlining all of those steps that you, you've been taking, I think that that's a uh, prescription that I think a lot of organizations could benefit from, uh, regardless of their size and their scope is just kind of 
uh, being introspective and, and, and looking inward and trying to take uh, steps internally towards, you know, actually uh, achieving some of these diversity, equity and inclusion goals that I think a lot of organizations maybe set for themselves, uh, as you said, after the events of this summer. And Jason, one of the things that I think was a bit eye-opening for us, and I think is, it might be helpful to other groups, is that I think to be successful, I have a chance of being successful in this endeavor, I think one has to approach it with humility and intentionality. And, and what I mean in terms of humility is that you've got to be comfortable um, being exposed, if you will, in terms of where you, where you may not be getting it right where you may have blind spots and you have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right. And, and, right. and you know, cuts across everyone. Cause, and, it, and I liken it to training, you know, you're, you're not going to grow and develop unless you, unless you push yourself outside your comfort zone. Right. And it's the same thing with, with this. Uh, it's a different kind of spin on the old phrase, no pain, no gain. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. Uh, shifting gears here a little bit uh, mm -hmm. to kind of actually talk about some of the issues uh, on the ground. Um, sure. There's been some troubling data about access to health and fitness resources in, you know, predominantly black neighborhoods, minority neighborhoods, mm -hmm. which obviously creates all sorts of compounding problems for those communities, mm -hmm. including stuff like higher rates of obesity, which in turn creates additional compounding issues. Um, yes. What can the, the fitness industry uh, do to improve this situation? Well, it, it's funny you mention that because if you think about um, what, what's top of mind for everyone now is the pandemic and, and, and COVID. And we know that um, African-Americans, as an example, uh, suffered disproportionately from some of the worst outcomes with regard to the pandemic. You know, a greater risk for contracting the virus, a higher rate of hospitalization and a higher death rate. You know, all things that... Um, no one wants to, to be a part of that club. And right. one of the things that it, it's those disparities that she talked about that contribute greatly to those disturbing stats. And a lot of the, a lot of the issues are kind of lifestyle behavior uh, issues in terms of, um, you know, activity habits, nutrition habits, stress, a, a lot of things that, that, you know, some of these things are beyond people's control too, because of the environment that you live in. But one of the things that I think we as the fitness industry can do is come alongside healthcare and be part of the solution and in helping individuals on that journey of lifestyle behavior change. And because, you know, health coaches, exercise professionals, they're trained in helping people live healthier, better, more active lifestyles. And so if we can be intentional about going into the community and making these services available, um, you know, in terms of, you know, and working with areas where individuals that are in these vulnerable communities tend to congregate. So work with local churches, in terms of, you know, offering, you know, fitness opportunities, little, little uh, brown bag lunch meat so you can, can teach about, you know, kind of basic, you know, good eating habits and, and, and how, to, how to manage stress. You can, you know, do yoga class. You can do a number of things. You can um, work with the barbershops. So, you know, my, my, my uh, when I was working on my doctorate, one of my areas of interest was, was uh, hypertension. And so, one of the effective programs was was teaching barbers how to take blood pressure, so mm. that you help individuals who come in to be made aware if 
they might be suffering from high blood pressure because mm-hmm. you know what is it it's the silent killer because it goes undetected and 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 many um men of color tend not to go to their doctors on a frequent ba- basis for those you know preventive checks if you will so but but they will go to the barbershop right yep <laughs> now if you if you can again i think we just have to think about ways in which we can can help to make these services more readily available, more accessible, more affordable for individuals of, of color and in, in vulnerable communities. And, and I think um, some of the onus is on organizations like, like ACE and, and ACSM and others where we um, provide incentives for our professionals to go and provide their services there. And, you know, whether it's in terms of offering them continued education credit to do so, um, you know, letting them, you know, earn points that they can then use, you know, for, for other, other purchases and so forth. But we, we really have to, it has to be a, you know, a, a team effort to try to make those services more available. I think your point about uh, incentives is a really interesting one because um, I, I feel like it's a, a point of discussion uh, when it, we talk about investment in some of these communities that need it. Um, a lot of the time, the discussion centers around, oh, you know, uh, investing in those neighborhoods might not be as profitable as maybe investing into uh, other neighborhoods. So um, what you mentioned about, you know, organizations trying to incentivize investment there, maybe not necessarily through dollars, but through other means is obviously a creative, um, you know, solution towards at least pushing stuff in the right direction. I I hope so. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So another thing that I uh, wanted to bring up is, um, Obviously, you know, you touched on this earlier is the, the COVID pandemic has done uh, what the pandemic has done to accelerate trends, both good and mm-hmm. bad. Um, how has the pandemic affected the situation when it comes to access to health and fitness? Well, um, one, it's, it, it's certainly um, limited the abilities to, to, to gather in person. But, but that could be a blessing in disguise, too, because with um, so much being offered in terms of, you know, kind of digital and remotely that some of those uh, experiences can be delivered um, in a much more costly, convenient and affordable way. So it, it, it could serve as an opportunity to really help to um, kind of better level the, the, the opportunity field, if you will, in terms of access and exposure. The other thing too, is that I think um, what is happening too, is that a, a lot of um professionals and organizations are looking to do things um, out outdoors. Uh, there's a great example of a, a program up in um, uh, LA County. It's, it's called uh, Three Winds. And the uh, university professor at Cal State Northridge had, had the great idea of let's utilize these parks that aren't, aren't being used and, and pretty much ignored. And let's, uh, provide fitness classes for the local residents, many of whom would never be able to afford going to most of, you know, your, your typical fitness facilities. So they, they can't get that quality experience. And what he did, he was a kinesiology professor and he wanted his students to get practical hands-on experience. In addition to the great theoretical training that they got, through their college courseware. And so what he would do is he'd take his students 
they would develop these classes and classes for multiple, multiple levels, kind of low, moderate and high fitness levels. And you see these people in the park having a wonderful time connecting as a community, getting exercise, getting healthier, becoming more active. They would, you know, do some education about nutrition and so forth. And they, they're, you know, they're reaching, you know, a thousand folks providing these classes three times a week. And what do you think happened to the park? All of a sudden, the, 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 the park is this, this, this meeting place, this, this, this congregation, if you will. So the park gets cleaned up. Mm-hmm. The people love connecting with, with each other. The students win because they get some real life hands-on experience before they graduate and go into the workplace. And so I think we need to have more programs like that and really be able to replicate that throughout the country where we can, you know, take advantage of existing resources, existing um, uh, so, uh, sources of, of expertise in, in terms of people and kind of marrying those and meeting these communities with, with, the, with the great needs that they have. I think that's such a, a great example of, uh, you know, applying something um, at scale, right? So we know that like, you know, <laughs> exercise is super important to individual, you know, wellness and health. Um, but when you apply that, you know, at scale, it can have a big impact on public health and like exactly really kind of bring uh, boost the community. So that's a fantastic example of that. Uh, let's see here. Skipping down here a little bit. Uh, what can the, my fitness, uh, what can the fitness industry do to not just serve better serve communities of color in terms of, you know, clientele, but also in terms of how we're represented within the profession, you know, staff member, recruitment and retention. Uh, you touched on that a little bit earlier, but um, I'm wondering if you could maybe expand on that point. Yeah, I, I would say um, it's really that that intentionality word comes in, comes in again, um, Jason, in that I think we have to understand that if our goal is to try to attract and or serve a more diverse audience of people, we've got to make sure that there's representation of those individuals within our leadership and within our service provider roles. And so in order to do so, um, we're going to have to invest a little bit more time and effort in, in our, in our recruitment in expanding our networks. Because the thing is, is that if your network is narrow and only looks like you, guess what? When you have openings and opportunities, the recommendations are going to be narrow and look like you. And right. so we have to be intentional about expanding our networks, um, m- making sure that if we don't know people uh, of, you know, of, of other ethnicities who are different from us, we need to start there. And then really looking at trying to identify where there might be pockets of opportunity to, have a network of folks who could be part of the team. And so like, like I, I gave the example of the HPCUs, the, um, you know, look, 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 look for things like in terms of your, if, if uh, in your local recreation centers, if you can look for uh, things like um, uh, people um, at, at uh, various churches of, of different uh, races and colors, being able to see if you might be able to go in and volunteer just doing a 
series of workouts and think about how most group fitness instructors are identified at, at the club. They're typically the students in the, in the front row and then aspire to become a, become a group fitness instructor themselves. Go and provide these services at these churches and you may find a candidate or two who's in that front row who says, you know what, I would, I would love to do that. And so we, we just have to, but, but that takes a bit more effort than right. just, you know, it's real easy just to go, you know, to the normal routine routes and, and, and find folks. And, and that's, and, 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 you know, I, I kind of jokingly said that we, we don't want to kind of have an NFL Rooney rule, but, but, you know, it, it takes work to make your workforce more diverse. I, yeah, I mean, and that really speaks to the intention, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you, if you want to be intentional about this, you have have to put that intention to practice and actually go out and do the work. It's not going to happen, you know, on its own. (laughs) Exactly. Well, the thing about it, this is a, a systemic issue and systemic issues aren't tackled easily, nor are they can they be tackled by a single individual organization? It requires a real collaborative effort. And that's one of the things that um, I am encouraged because I hear so many of my colleagues and partners at other organizations that really kind of share in the passion that we have for trying to see things change. And that that's what really gives me some optimism and hope is, is that I, I really think that it's more than just people kind of being emotionally moved by the events of the summer that, that, that they're still having these conversations and, and that they're still looking to take action. It is encouraging that, you know, you know, people are starting to kind of put their, their money where their mouths are, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, final question. Where can people uh, learn more about the black history month dialogues that you, uh, ACE is hosting? Sure. Um, you can go to our website, um, uh, it's uh, www.acefitness.org, and um, you'll you'll see the information there. All right, uh, Cedric Bryant, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jason, and, and thank you so much for, um, for for featuring this topic on a, on your um, podcast. I uh, we, again, we need we need uh, everyone on the team uh, rowing the boat in the same direction. So thank you. That's right. We're happy to do it. AB Today is a daily e-newsletter that provides professionals within the athletics, fitness, and recreation industry with relevant, fast-reading nationwide stories. Sign up at athleticbusiness.com enews and enjoy great content from Athletic Business every weekday. And we're back. Um, yeah, great conversation, Jason, with Cedric. Um, thank you for that. And just a few housekeeping things to wrap up this episode. Um, I wanted to mention, uh, be sure if you do have a new project, uh, facilities project renovation or new construction, um, to get that submitted to uh, the the architectural showcase right now. Um, You can find information about that on the AB website. Um, Also, do you want to mention just a couple of virtual conferences that we're participating? We have virtual booths at, if you want to connect with AB, uh, either our sales department or editorial departments. Um, We have booths at uh, the AOAP and NURSA. uh, This week is AOAP and next week is NURSA. That's right. Yeah. So we'll be participating 
uh, at the Virtual Campus Rec and Wellness Expo uh, with uh, our, our partners at NURSA. That's next week, that's February 23rd through the 25th. Um, and we'll be in our virtual booth. So you'll be able to swing by and, and say hello to uh, you know, members of the AB team, learn more about uh, what, what we do and um, you know, just uh, you know, come, come talk to us if you're planning on attending that event virtually. Uh, and likewise with uh, the Association of Aquatics Professionals. So uh, we'll have um, you know, AB, represent, AB represented at uh, both of those virtual events. And you know, it may not be the same as uh, an in-person gathering, but we're excited to get back out there and, and hopefully have some great conversations with, uh, with industry professionals and all you, you find people listening. So uh, if you're attending Absolutely. either event, you know, do, uh, do keep a lookout for us. Um, yep. Kind of looking ahead into next week, we do have uh, a regularly scheduled episode that's going to be uh, in your feed on Tuesday. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, but until then, that's going to do it for this episode. Take it easy. Thank you.